Holdridge. If you can't beat them, join them. Sharon Hornellstrom here with a little baseball bat. Actually, this is from the 1991 Minnesota Twins Championship. The, they were the world champions in 1991, the year my son was born. So my husband and I, my ex-husband and I bought him this little bat. And I actually remember I, uh, I just found it recently as I'm going through some, pro I'm doing a big project to clean up and organize and sort through stuff, all the, the stuff that we save and collect for decades. I'm going through the boxes of that right now as a project for the weekend. And I came across this little bat. Now, it's interesting because I remember when he hit three, his sister was born and I actually put the bat away. I took it out of his room and hit it because I was afraid that he might accidentally hit or break something or maybe hit his little sister. Not that he ever would, but you know, mom paranoia, that was me. So the Minnesota Twins bat leads us to our idiom today. If you can't beat them, join them. This is actually a relatively new political uh, idiom. It came from the political arenas, although the entomology, the true meaning, the true source of the idiom is shrouded in mystery. Sometimes we have those and we just can't find the actual meaning of it, but it appeared in the Atlantic Monthly magazine in 1930, 1932 actually, February edition, where James E. Watson, a then senator, said that it was one of his favorite sayings, one of his favorite mottos. Sounds like a politician, right? If you can't beat them, join them. If you're not going to be able to win, then just jump on the winning bandwagon side and you will you will be better off than if you just keep standing up for your principles and what's right. I hope not. But James Watson, it's an old, it's an old political adage. It's a, a very old proverb. It's a saying that sometimes we need to pick our battles. We need to choose what we're going to stand up for and what we're going to fight for. Now, there's also a book in 1941 that the same saying appeared in called The uh, The Wounded Don't Cry <clears throat> by Quentin Ransdale or somebody. And it just reminds us that, you know, the easy road. And here's what I, what I found out yesterday. I, I looked into false dilemmas. And this is a perfect example of a false dilemma, an either or situation that's set up and created to make you think that you only have two choices and that one of those choices is bad. Do we see this in politics a lot? Boy, we sure do in America, in the United States right now. We see this a lot. Either toe the line, go with the person in power, or you will right now be shut off, eliminated, and cut off from, from being who you are. Now, if you know me, I don't believe in the word can't. So you might not win the battle, but you can definitely win the war of who you are and what you want to create in the world. If you've started your own business, you don't think like most people do. You don't act like most people do. You don't do what most people do. And if you want to grow and supersize your business, you certainly don't adopt the philosophy that if you can't beat them, join them. Now, sometimes it doesn't mean we don't join forces with people we consider our competitors and create new and different, better things in the world. I think of summits, summits or uh, events or... Uh, industry industry gatherings and events are, are a great example of this. People in the same profession join together and share information and help the entire industry to rise and get better. And that's not what I'm talking about either here. This idiom is more about, you know, if you know you're not going to win, jump on the losing side. Or if you know you can't win or, or beat somebody at something, then just go along with them whether you agree with them or not. And I personally can't get any more for that. I can't say that I'm going to agree with somebody just because they look to be winning. Because remember, appearances can be deceiving, right? What we see and we think is going on is never the whole story. It's just our perception of what's going on. It's our perceived, you know, value of events. It's it's what we think we see 
isn't always what's going on in the background, right? I like to use the example of 50 people can witness a car accident and you'll get 50 different stories or at least 40 different stories of what actually happened because everybody has a different vantage point. Everybody saw that event, exact same event, right? But everybody saw it from a different point of view, a viewpoint, literally as well as figuratively because all of our experiences color what we even will or will not see. So <clears throat> I, I learned a lot. I, I got down a rabbit hole yesterday of false dilemmas and found that there's actually like 15 different false dilemmas, dilemmas. Either or is only one of those 15, but we see it all the time. Now I'm going to see false dilemmas everywhere. Every time I see somebody giving an either or option when and, and acting like there's only two choices in the world for anything, I'm going to stop and I'm going to say, well, now, wait a minute. Is that true? Are there more options than that? So a lot of other ways of saying this particular idiom, you know, I used to hear at work when I was in corporate America, get with the program, Sharon, get on board with this, you know, especially if it was something that I was opposing because I didn't feel like it was morally right or, or, or the right thing to do. Uh, believe it or not, <clears throat> excuse my throat today, in some organizations, they don't always choose the high road. Sometimes they do what's best for the company, but not necessarily best for employees or best for customers even. Now, I think companies are getting more and more uh, aligned with doing what's right, making sure they provide a great customer experience, but they don't always choose that. I worked for an organization whose sales philosophy, the sales organization pretty much was the gods of that particular business and pretty much in that industry. And they would say things <clears throat> that we were not technologically capable of even doing or producing. And they would promise customers things that we could not deliver on. Well, <clears throat> as, <clears throat> excuse me, it's, I'm getting all choked up now. It's still a years later, decades later. I, as the quality director, had to go out and and smooth the ruffled feathers of our customers whenever this would happen. Because, and, but I wasn't supposed to ever say, hey, we actually cannot technologically do that. Even though that was the truth, I wasn't supposed to say that. Now, I didn't stay at that organization very long because their values and my values didn't match. My values are to under promise and over deliver or to tell people what you really can do for them and make sure that you're doing that and, and more than um, what you're promising them, not just the opposite. So um, that was an example where you choose your battles, but you get to always choose and create your environment. That's probably why you started your own business. You saw problems that needed to be solved. You saw a, an industry or business, or you learned something that was missing that you knew was of value to people. And that's why you decided to start your business. So you're not going to just roll over and, and join those people and those ideas that don't create what it is that you want to create in the world. We want to create our businesses so we can make the world a better place. At least if you're listening to me, I assume that's why you want to create your business is to make the world a better place. Even if that's just making it the lives and the, the situation for the people that are a, a closer circle for your organization, make their lives better. That's making the world a better place. Whenever we add positive value to the world, we are contributing and making the world a better place. So I would actually love to know your experience with this particular idiom, this particular saying. I, I wasn't born in the 1930s, so I'm just going to assume that's about when it became popular. It seems like older sayings really, really caught on when they appeared in print, either in magazines or in some kind of writing. You know, think of all the idioms we've talked about that are 
um, from William Shakespeare's time. They, they were, of course, popular for years, if not centuries before then, but once he put them in a play and in writing, they spread much more quickly. Anyway, share in the comments below your experience with this. Believe me, I could tell you lots of stories of this one, but I'd rather hear yours. Have an absolutely amazing day. I'm going to get back to it and see what other treasures I can find, hidden treasures, the ex used to call them, and uh, get back at it. I'll be with you tomorrow with another interesting idiom. What does it mean? Where does it come from? And how might you use it to supersize your business? This one, I say don't use it if you want to build a great big business. Take care. Bye.